Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you, Mark, in his absence for asking me to speak. It's a great, great privilege. I'm very excited. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Steve Miller, and as Kristen just said, I'm the Director of Training for Pays USA, which basically means I head up all of the training uh, and all of the mentoring, all the development throughout the year for our team of about 50 apprentice missionaries across America. That's what I do, and that's what I've been doing for the last few years, uh, and I love it. I really, really enjoy it. Um, I've been over here uh, in USA with Pace for the last four years, just coming to the end of my fourth year. Um, and before that, I was in England, and well, in between coming to England, between England and here, I went to Australia. And I went to Australia for about three months, and for two months of that, I worked on a huge cattle ranch. Okay, now this, this, is my, this is my actual cowboy hat that I wore every day for two months. Okay, now this is not a cattle ranch, certainly not like English cattle ranches by any means. This was an enormous Australian style cattle ranch. Just so you know, oh there's me, five years younger, looking much, much younger. Um, <laughs> this ranch was enormous, this ranch was 110,000 acres. Okay, so 110,000 acres. Just so you understand, for those of you who don't understand what an acre is, it's the whole of Arlington, from South Arlington right up to the top North Arlington, plus Grand Prairie, that was our one ranch. Okay, so it was enormous. And on that huge ranch was me, my boss, and his wife. That was it. There was just the three of us on this huge ranch. He had to drive 35 minutes to get to the next door neighbour. He had to drive 50 minutes to get to the nearest road. And he had to drive an hour and a half to get to the nearest town that had about... 50 people living there. Okay, it was in the middle of the outback in Australia and I loved it. It was a great, great wilderness experience and I have, as you can imagine, a ton of stories. I'm going to share one of my particular favourites with you this morning. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure last time I shared this in a preach, Cody was here and Cody was actually my model um, for this. In fact, do you want to come out and do this again? You can. Well, why don't you come on out? Just because it, it suddenly occurred to me that last time I shared this story was about four years ago and this is how long I've known Cody. Okay, so... Uh, one of our, this, everyone give Cody a round of applause. <laughs> so, what happened was, um, we were, the, there was a time where we had several hundred steers, boy cows that were coming in, and we had to process them, which meant we, you know, we had to give them shots, make sure they had tags in their ears, take off their horns, or brand them, all those kind of things. Uh, and t- when we did this, we put them in a cage. Let's see the next photo, please. That's the cage that we would put them in. Okay? It looks like a torturous thing. It's, it's not. It's just farm machinery. It's fine. Um, so, so we would put these, these steers in there and we would make sure that we'd do all these different things. And my job was to give them two shots, a flea spray along their back, and then brand them on their shoulder. So that was my job for everyone that came through. That's, those are the four things I had to do. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. Here, why don't you come and like kneel down right here on all fours? Yeah. Okay. In fact, was this... I'm wondering, last time I think I might have used you as a baboon, I can't remember which story I think I you might have also. A, a baboon? Okay, alright. So, okay, so why don't you kind of... Get, uh, <laughs> and why don't you kind of crawl down and put your hands down on the ground as if you're a cow. Perfect. Thank you so much, Cody. Now, I don't know if you guys can see. Okay, so there's this one, you know, we'd done, we'd done over a hundred at this stage and we were kind of just flying through them, did the same thing, you know, I put two shots in his shoulder, put the flea spray down his back and then I got the brand. Now you have to hold the brand on for a, a, like about five to ten seconds, otherwise it doesn't last. So I put this brand on and as I was holding it I saw this little spark and, and it's, well, some of the hairs started burning which was kind of normal but then actually these sparks kind of flickered up a little bit and suddenly the shoulder of this cow was on fire. 
and, uh, and we were, me and my boss were just looking at each other, going, what, what's going on? So we all panicked, and we got our cowboy hats, and we started flaming, flaming the, the fire. But actually, that just meant that the whole of the cow was suddenly on fire. And it was just burning up. The cow, poor cow was locked in a cage with his back on fire. Me and my boss just staring at each other, going, what on earth is going on? So I quickly grabbed my jacket and kind of smothered the cow. And then suddenly, we all kind of took a deep breath, let the cow get out, because he had no idea what was going on, and looked at each other. And it was only then that they chose to told me to tell me that actually the flea spray is highly flammable and that you should not put the brand next to the flea spray oh. anyways so yeah so yeah, I was like thanks thanks for the heads up so yeah so I did once set fire to a cow thank you very much Cody I appreciate it um, so I got a question for you this morning it's got nothing to do with branding cows um, what are you passionate about what is the thing that really, really gets you going? What, are the, what is the thing that winds you up? I hope that it's not animal rights. <laughs> if it is, then try and find me afterwards, but I'll be running. Um, <laughs> what, it, what are you really passionate about? I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, I love, I love uh, dance music, or yeah, I love the colour blue. I'm talking about what are you really passionate about? What really gets you going? What winds you up? Or even, sometimes maybe it even gets you angry. What is the thing that really frustrates you more than anything else that really gets you going? For me, it's related to what we talked about last week. Um, this... There's a past, I don't know if you remember, sorry, I'll take a step back. In April, Pastor Mark shared a story about being driven by your passion, a message about being driven by your passion. And for me, um, last week when it was Father's Day and Austin and Mark did a great job talking about uh, what it looks like to have a father who is uh, a father who is patient, who is loving, who is godly. Great message, great words, and I completely agree with all of that. And my passion is really related to that. My passion is for those people who don't have that father, who don't have a patient, loving, godly father. That's the thing that winds me up. That's the thing that makes me want to get up and do something. That's the thing that, for me, motivates most of my life choices. In Zechariah 7, verse 9 and 10, it says this, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or or the poor. Now last week was Father's Day and we celebrate what all the the great fathers and what it means to be a father, we we encourage the fathers. But for yet for a lot of people, it's probably the most painful day of the whole year. For a lot of people who don't have a father, whether it's because they've never known their father or their father walked out on them or their father's passed away or their their parents are divorced, for whatever reason, a lot of people, Father's Day last year is one of the, last week, it's one of the most painful days of the whole year. And honestly, that kind of breaks my heart. It does break my heart. It breaks my heart when men walk away from their responsibilities. It breaks my heart when uh, a child sees his dad die and knowing that for the rest of their life they're not going to have a dad in their life. It breaks my heart when parents divorce um, and just even if they still get to see their dad you know, a couple of times a week, it's still not, it's still not present every day in their life. Now, why, why is it that I'm passionate about that? I think... Um, over several years I've kind of grown that, that passion and fire has burned in me um, one of the main reasons I would say though is that um, the, my dad has been an incredible example of fatherhood to me um, many of you have been praying for my dad for those of you who don't know 
um, nine, mo- nine months ago he was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumour um, and you know walking through that process you know actually tomorrow we fly back for two weeks uh, for vacation and I can't wait to go and see uh, as Michelle this morning was praying uh, we're excited because my dad this, uh, on the left there's my dad carrying my, bro- my little brother in front and me uh, we were cowboys even back then um, and uh, my little brother this week will graduate from, uh, from school from graduate school and so my dad is determined to get to that graduation, even though it means going a, a four-hour dri- drive away. And in the last nine months, the furthest he's gone is about 40 minutes. So he's determined to get there, even through his sickness, and all, even through all the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy that he's been going through uh, the last nine months. Um, but he's been the best example to me of faithfulness, of loving, of what it means to be a man of integrity, what it means to have character, what it means to be a servant and to put others first, both in marriage and family, but also in the church. Uh, he is known in the community as a man of, of gentleness. He's literally a gentle man. Um, so he's, he's just been the best example to me. Um, and whilst that's a great story, I mean, I'm very, very blessed. I recognize how thankful I am. And that has kind of turned into a passion for me wanting to be the same. It wasn't like that for him. His parents, he, he was born in South Africa. Uh, and when he was seven years old, his parents divorced. And he moved back to England with him, just him, his mum, and his little brother. And uh, they grew up. Uh, so they grew up in the 50s and 60s as a single mum. Um, with two boys struggling to make ends meet. Imagine back in the 50s and 60s, it was, so, it was, not, it was not acceptable really socially um, to be a single mum with two boys. Uh, and so she kind of wrestled through that. And my dad, it really affected my dad in a massive way to the point where I just found out recently that actually when um, my mum and dad were engaged, he nearly called off the engagement because he refused to be the kind of dad that he had had. And he felt that it was going to happen. It was automatically going to happen with him. Thankfully, and praise God, he, he was able to see that actually he could break that cycle um, and that he, just because of that example, didn't have to be the same for him. So that's one of my biggest reasons why I'm passionate about fatherhood um, and particularly those who don't have a good father. Another example, uh, or another reason why I'm so passionate about it is because of Sabrina. Now, Sabrina, uh, my beautiful wife, sitting over here, she's, um, you know, we've been dating... Gosh, dating. Well, we've been married for three years. We've been dating for five years. We've known each other for eight years. She's a great, great friend of mine. Well, my best friend. Um, but, but she's never known her father. Uh, her father walked out before she was born. Uh, and so she daily wrestles with the effects of what that means to be abandoned by a father that you never knew. But so, so me and Sabrina come at it from almost totally different points of views. And yet we're both very, very passionate about those who don't have a father in their life. But, is it a biblical passion? Just because you get fired up about something doesn't mean that it's automatically right. Doesn't mean that it automatically uh, lines up with the Word of God. You know, you could, be, you could be really, really passionate about getting great customer service. <laughs> but when it comes at the cost of uh, love and grace and patience, is that biblical? I don't know. Um, so in the book of James, James, just so you know, was the half-brother of Jesus. And at this point, he was writing uh, to the collective churches uh, in, in Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem. And this was written about 20 to 30 years after Jesus died. And he writes in James 1 about the difference between listening to the word and actually doing it. And he says that, uh, you know, it's like, a, it's like a man who goes and looks at himself in a mirror realizes that he's got drool because he's just woken up, he's got bedhead, he's got sleep in his eyes, and then he goes away without doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of person that listens to the word, reads the word, and then goes away and doesn't act on it. Right. And straight after that he says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's one of the few New Testament references to orphans. However, in the Old Testament, there's over 40 references to orphans and the fatherless. There's, firstly, there's a whole set of laws that when God was setting up his, his nation uh, in, in, the, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, when he was setting up the laws the way that people should live by, he said several about how to protect and to provide for those who are fatherless and for the widows. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18, he says this, God, your God is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters, a God immense and powerful and awesome. He doesn't play favourites, takes no bribes, makes sure orphans and widows are treated fairly, takes loving care of foreigners by seeing that they get food and clothing. Again, in Deuteronomy 14, he says this, at the, very, uh, sorry, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce, the tithe is the 10% that we give uh, back to God, uh, and store it in your towns. So the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. They were the priests of the day. They didn't work. They were constantly in the temple. Uh, And the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Again, Deuteronomy 24 says... I'm not sure if that one's up there. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, that's one of the bits of grain that was growing, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widows, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. He says the same thing for olives and for grapes, all these things. Trying to make sure, God's trying to establish to make sure that the fatherless and the widows and the orphans, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows and the foreigners, those who don't have any homeland, are taken care of. So it's so transparent that God's wanting to protect, wanting to provide these vulnerable people. Again, in Proverbs 23, Verse 10 says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Now, the boundary stone, that was literally, I mean, that was what marked out their land. Okay, now the, think about the fatherless and the widows. There's no man in that house. Uh, so there's no one to defend them if somebody moves their stone, which is basically stealing their land. If they change, it's like just m- making their fields slightly smaller, stealing their land. There's, and God's specifically saying, Don't do that. For their defender, that's the kinsman redeemer, uh, that's a whole separate preach, but it's a great one, um, <laughs> is strong. And he, God, will take up their case against you. So that's a whole bunch of passages talking about why God would prov- or how God plans to provide and to protect the orphans and widows. But also he spoke quite strongly against those who wouldn't and those who don't. In the book of Isaiah, uh, God reads, uh, has this word of, in, in his book of, you know, the first half is the book of judgment, uh, and it's talking about how, how angry God is, really, uh, and how upset he is with these people. In, verse one, in chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Your princes are rebels and companions are thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. You can just see God's heart is breaking. He's frustrated. Again, later on in Isaiah, chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. God's heart is so transparently for these people. There's this great quote that I found in the Bible background commentary that says this, 
Orphans, aliens and widows form the three classes of powerless persons in ancient society. They were powerless. God took special care of these people because of their basic vulnerability, requiring that they not be oppressed and cursing those who did oppress them. So you can see that in the Old Testament, God's heart is so passionately for these people. And yet, we live in 2011. So, is it still a big deal here? I'm convinced it is. But let's see just how big of a deal it is in our world. Okay, so globally, this fatherless generation that we find ourselves in, it's a worldwide issue. Okay, I'm going to hit you with a bunch of statistics. If you love stats, then happy days, wake up, get ready to absorb. (laughs) If you don't and they just go over your head, I apologise for the next few minutes because I'm going to hit a lot. Alright, here we go. There are 150 million approximately orphans worldwide. Now that's as defined by UNICEF, who says that uh, if, unless a child has both parents in their lives, then they are counted as an orphan. So if they, if they still have one parent, they live with one parent, then they are still counted by UNICEF as an orphan because it's understood that children need two parents. Yep. So there are 150 million orphans worldwide. Every 15 seconds, another child becomes an AIDS orphan in Africa. Every 15 seconds. So while I've been speaking, yeah. a bunch. Approximately 250,000 children are adopted annually, which is great. It's a huge number. 250,000 orphans are adopted annually around the world. But, this one, every 14 years, 14 million orphans age out of the system. Now what it means to age out is basically when you come to a point in life where either you can't be adopted or basically people aren't going to adopt you, sadly. So legally, I think it's in some countries it's 16, some countries it's 18 years old where you can't be adopted anymore. Uh, in other, but it, more realistically, you're c- if you're older than six years old, if you're an orphan, you're considered unadoptable because most people when they adopt, adopt like babies or young. So basically every, f- every year there are 14 million orphans who age out of the system, who will never be adopted, and who will never have parents to call their own, who will never have parents to celebrate their birthday with, to celebrate Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever. So 14 million every single year go through that process of aging out. S- however, sadly, this is not just about the worldwide thing. It's not just an Africa problem. It's here in America too. There are 120,000 orphans waiting to be adopted in America every year. Did you know that? 120,000 orphans are waiting for adoption in America every year. And then this one blows my mind. If just one family out of every four churches would adopt one child, there would be no more orphans in America. If one family in every four churches would adopt, there would be no more orphans in America. We could just leave it at that. But just think about it. Okay, so right here we've got Lake House, we've got Trinity United Methodist, we've got Woodland Road, uh, Woodlands West, uh, Church of Christ and Field of Road Baptist. One family out of these four churches adopted and that same ratio across the country, there would be no more orphans in America. Um, in America, uh, there's a seven, there are 70 million children. A, America has a population of 300 million. Approximately there are 70 million children. Of those 70 million... There are 20 million, uh, or 19 million, live with just one parent. There are 3 million that live with no parents. Now, whilst as a percentage you might think that's not that big, just think about those numbers. There are 22 million children in America that are not living with their mum and their dad. 
From those, I want to focus now specifically more on the fatherless. Uh, now I know some of those are still living with their father and it's the mother that they don't have, but I want to focus more now on the fatherless. So those from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 71% of pregnant teenagers. Those from fatherless homes account for 90% of all homeless and runaway children. Nine out of every ten children that run away or that are homeless are from a fatherless home. The fatherless, those from fatherless home account for 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 85% of all youth who exhibit behaviour disorders, 71% of all high school dropouts are from a fatherless home, 75% of adolescents in chemical abuse centres are from fatherless homes, and 85% of all the youth who are in prison right now come from a fatherless home. Do you see how destructive this is? You see how, how much of a, a massive problem it is and the impact that it is of growing up without a dad. I mean, if you look at the problems affecting society right now, so many of them are related and you can track them back to this. In fact, conservative estimates guess that American taxpayers spend $112 billion in programs that are affected uh, and... Uh, that are traced back to fatherlessness and single parent families in terms of anti-poverty, criminal justice, education programs. $112 billion every year. So over the last decade they estimate that they've spent about a trillion dollars, one trillion dollars on children who have grown up with only one parent. And we're all paying for it, right? Every year, 700... I'm almost done with the statistics because I'm overwhelmed. Um, every year, 750,000 teenage girls fall pregnant. Three quarters of a million girls fall pregnant. And we know from before that 71% of those are from fatherless home. Some of the character traits that demonstrate that those who are fatherless demonstrate are things like uh, they, they feel inadequate, they feel shame, they're seeking attention, seeking affirmation, they don't have the confidence their heads hung low, they slump their shoulders, they can't make eye contact with you because there's this inherent feeling that they're not, they're not, they're not worthy. This is a great quote. The fatherless boy lives with the nagging accusation that he will never be adequate, never measure up, never really be a man. For the young man who lives in shame, manhood seems just out of reach, like it belongs to an aloof group of faceless men who live somewhere over there. The fatherless boy lives with the nagging accusation that he will never be adequate, never measure up, never really be a man. Uh, a week ago I, I put a poll on my Facebook page and I was just interested to see how many, what, what percentage of the, peop- of the under 18s that people knew lived with, did not live with their fa- biological father. And sure, it's not a scientific poll, uh, but it was just to see what my friends thought. And 17% there said that 40 to 70% of their friends did not live with their biological father, which is, you know, that's much bigger than the next one. The one that really, honestly, the one that broke my heart out of that was actually that six of, the, six of my friends said that 70 to 100% of their friends did not live with their father. That just breaks my heart. I had a feeling it was going to come up something like this. I didn't realise it was going to be that significant. But there is hope. There must be hope. Hope does not disappoint. Okay? 
and, it, and it's true and it's not just doom and gloom Sunday there is, there is answer there is things that we can act on you know, according to those statistics Sabrina, my wife should be on her third child by now she should be a high school dropout and she should be in jail but she's not because there's hope and she's not because of the plan of and the purposes of God and, and the people and the people that came around her and the local church that came around to support her and the way that uh, the body of Christ moved in her life. Amen. That she's not one of those statistics. Right. You know, when we think about where, where do we see these, you know, I look at those statistics and I see a lot of those kids are from Arlington who answered on, the, on, on my Facebook poll. And, you know, I think, well, you know, there's so many that grow up. Where are they? Well, they're in youth group. They're, they're in our youth group, they're in football teams, they're in cheerleading squads, uh, they're in the grocery store working, they're all around. Amen. They're everywhere. There's a, a video, a song that's hugely popular that came out in 2005 by Kelly Clarkson called Because of You. And it, she actually wrote it when she was 16 years old and her parents were going through divorce. And it really emphasises the struggle that she went through as she saw her dad walk out on her and how that cycle of repetition was going to be played out in her life. We're going to play the video now for you guys to watch it. I think that that song's great at communicating what it really means for those um, girls especially, but guys as well who grow up uh, without a dad. Those, they can never walk too far from the sidewalks, they're scared. How can, they, how can their heart be broken in the future when they never really had a heart to start with. Um, that video has been viewed on YouTube like 13 million times and there are over 8,000 comments. I don't normally read the comments on YouTube um, because they're normally terrible. I have a little thing to turn them off but I looked at them uh, for this one and it just broke my heart more than the video. There's just comment after comment after comment and people relating to them. We're going to hear from some of them now. More than anything else, um, I'm convinced that this totally messes up our view of who God is. Amen. I want you to imagine that somebody who is born blind and they've never been able to see. They have no understanding of what things look like. They have no idea what green is or what red looks like or what blue looks like. So if you tell them that the sky is blue, that means nothing to them. They have no ref- That doesn't help at all. And it's the same way with this. If you tell somebody that God is their father and the father God loves them, that means nothing. They have no reference point for the word father. And in the same way, perhaps actually, maybe it's even worse, where to them actually father is a symbol of punishment, of hurt, of anger, of resentment, of disappointment, abandonment, as opposed to uh, an image of safety, of grace, yeah. of a love that it's supposed to be. I'm convinced and have been for several years that if Satan were to try and destroy the understanding and the image and what Father God really is, then there's no simpler way or no more straightforward way than to destroy fathers in people's lives. Um, there's a guy who's written extensively about this. It's a fantastic book. I recommend you get it. It's called The Fatherless Generation. It's written by Dr. John Sowers. And he says this, this fatherless generation will never believe our gospel that God will be their father unless we step into their lives with the same intimacy that Christ steps into ours in the incarnation. Amen. This fatherless generation will never believe our gospel that God will be their father 
unless we step into their lives with the same intimacy that Christ steps into ours at the Incarnation. Okay, so now we know the problem, now we understand it, now we see the issue, what can we do? First and foremost, we can pray. We can pray. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We need to pray. Next, we can make a home haven. You can make your home a welcome place, a welcoming one for your, if you have kids, for their friends. You know, I have uh, family friends uh, that live around here and they built a whole extension onto their house because they wanted their home to be a place where children uh, and their kids' friends would feel welcome. Th- you can create that place. You can encourage your kids to bring their friends in. Amen. Who nev- you, you never know. That might be the only safe place Amen. where they feel. Amen. That may be the only time they see what it means to have two parents or what it means yeah. to have a loving, committed family. And when they're there, look out for them. Look out for those people who maybe can't make eye contact, who are ashamed, who maybe are seeking affirmation, seeking attention. Look out for them and make sure they're welcome. You can give to an organisation. There are tons of organisations that are working hard to try and sort this out uh, and to address this issue. So you can give financially. You can reach out to single mums, those mums who, whether it's their choice or not, who have found themselves in this situation. You can support them, you can help them. You can get around their kids, you can encourage them, you can pray for them specifically. You can mentor. There's a fantastic organisation that the guy who wrote this book uh, is the CEO of called The Mentoring Project. It was originally set up by uh, Donald Miller up in Portland, Oregon. And its vision is to provide a mentor for every kid, for, for every girl and boy that doesn't gr- that's growing up without a father. And the vehicle they're using to do this is the local church. It's a fantastic organisation. I love what they do, fully endorse what they do. Uh, and you know you don't necessarily need the whole organisation, but look out for those look out for those kids and spend time with them. You can do that. You can support families who have adopted or who are fostering. You know, even the simplest things as offering a night to babysit or doing their yard work or looking after the you know looking after the kids, taking them some time. You can you can help. Yeah, get some, get some groceries. Help them practically. You can also uh, help families with the cost of adoption. A lot of people, uh, you know, I mean, the cost of international adoption is actually quite a lot of money, but you can, maybe you could help them with that. Actually, domestic adoption can cost as little as, or even less than $1,500. It's actually cheaper to adopt someone from America than it is to have a baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can foster or you know, provide a temporary safe haven or you can adopt now these are things that we can do these are things, I mean, now I, I do fully understand the significance of some of these things that they are huge, huge undertakings and then I'm not suggesting that straight suddenly you know, this afternoon you can just oh let's go and adopt somebody I'm not saying we should not go and uh, <laughs> enter it into it lightly at all but what can we be doing there is hope as I said before in the local church there is hope for this problem but we are all responsible. There's a, a great song by Brooke Fraser called Albertine. She says, Now that I have seen, I am responsible. Faith without deeds is dead. For me and Sabrina, as we look to the future, we fully intend to adopt. Uh, we, we would like to adopt either a teenager or a sibling set. Those who are particularly at risk of ageing out without ever getting adopted. 
Yeah, this is God's mandate for us. And going back to that James 1 passage, it says, this is the bit where I talked about the, the whole mirror thing earlier on. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Listening to the words that I've said this morning, listening to what spirits dropped on your heart this morning and then not doing anything about it is as foolish as looking at yourself in the mirror and not fixing your hair. In a moment I'm going to pray um, and then after that we're going to sing a song and during that uh, song I'd like you to be just asking God be praying and, put, and say God what are you calling me to do? What, now that I see this huge problem that's affecting not only this country but the world what are you calling me to do? Now that you understand the effects or you can see what it looks like to, for, a, for a person to grow up without a father or without a mother then you, you, you know and you are compelled and you are responsible to do something and what is it? And I'm convinced that uh, the Holy Spirit would have something for each of you this morning. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be here. Amen. So, uh, after I pray, would you feel free to join in with the song. Uh, feel free to spend some time praying, asking God, listening. Because I'm convinced that he's got something for each of us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, just in your name, Father God, we understand and we thank you for the love and the grace and the safety and the protection that there is in that name. Lord, we thank you that we know that. But God, our heart breaks for those to whom Father God is not a helpful descriptive but is something that that just distorts the true view of who you are. Father, I thank you this morning for, for what you've shared to us. And God, there's so much that I know that for, for me and for us that we have to be grateful for. But God, there's so much that breaks our heart. As we sang this morning, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, I pray that you would show us clearly what it is that's breaking your heart today. And more clearly, what, what it is that you're calling us to do. Father, we love you. Father, we're thankful that we can call you our Father, that you chose to step in to adopt us by your Spirit. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray you would speak to us clearly now. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. If as you sing these words, as you hear these words, you perhaps a, a, a touch or encourage or maybe challenge in a way that actually you've never felt that love. Perhaps exactly what I was talking about this morning about how this image of Father God just doesn't translate for you. And I would encourage you that God is for you. He wants to, he's pursuing you, that he loves you, that he's gracious towards you, that he doesn't care about all the junk that's happened in your life. He doesn't care about, uh, you know, he doesn't hold that against you. But that he loves you so passionately and he desires to be with you. I wanted to give you an opportunity this morning to, to receive that love.
And if you would, I'd ask, you, ask everyone who, who would be willing to pray this with me to bow their heads, close their eyes, and repeat after me. Father God, I recognize that I have not lived my life for you up until now. I have been living for myself and that is wrong. I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I acknowledge the completed work of your son Jesus Christ. In giving his life for me on the cross. And I long to receive the forgiveness that is mine through his sacrifice. Take up residence in my heart and be my king. From this day forward, I will no longer be controlled by sin. The desire to please myself or lies that have happened in the past but I will follow you all the days of my life. I ask these things in your precious name. Amen. If, if there's stuff from this morning's service or if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I would love to speak to you. I would love to chat with you. I would love to hear what the Holy Spirit was speaking to you this morning about.